What's up, everybody? This is Tanner from TamanBaseballFan.com. Hope everybody's having a great week out there. Um, yeah, a couple of things uh, that I wanted to bring up before diving into this. And first of all, by the way, I want to let y'all know right off the bat, like, I don't know exactly where this episode is going to end up. Um, I know why I've decided to pick, uh, to pick this topic. Um, and I know it fueled it, but I just don't really have a laser focus on... Uh, where we're going to go with it. So we're just going to kind of let it fly and, you know, uh, let the chips fall where they may. But before we get into that, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's been going on this week. So I've been uh, continuing to work on this little pet project of mine. And uh, if all goes well, um, (laughs) I hope to be able to launch uh, on Saturday. I don't know if that's going to work out. If it doesn't, then hopefully Sunday or Monday, but the way it's been working, it'll be launched in June. So <laughs> I don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, base case scenario, is probably Saturday. Um, so uh, you know, Atticus has a uh, has a dance uh, that he's going to on Friday, and so I figured have the house uh, be real quiet uh, and the downstairs to myself, and so I will uh, start doing some recording and take pictures and. I'm actually really excited about you guys like it is the type of project that I that keeps me up at night because I'm excited I'm so passionate about this like it's uh, <laughs> you know, it's not a money-making thing at all it's just like it's pure passion it's pure hobby uh, pure enjoyment and uh, I am super pumped to be able to uh, share this with you all so uh, stay tuned please guys keep your eyes on my YouTube, youtube.com forward slash fan, and my website, TanManBaseballFan.com, particularly the blog uh, section. So, uh, one thing before we actually really kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this thing, of this episode, is uh, one thing that I noticed is as I'm working on this project and, you know, going through work and everything, I'm noticing that a lot of clutter is obstructing the view of these beautiful show pieces that I put all over my office of, uh, of baseball cards and comic books and you know Transformers, that sort of thing. And so all of these uh, several uh, things that I'm hyper-passionate about, it's kind of funny because as the view is being obstructed uh, of them, they kind of are all put on that, the back burner. Not so much that I've lost passion, as much as I've realized that I think I've hit the bandwidth from my brain of what I can pay attention to. <laughs> and it's really kind of funny because uh, it's not like I've lost interest in any of these things. It's just that uh, I, because I'm focused so uh, intensely on something right now, uh, I uh, you know, really don't uh, spend a whole lot of time like... Uh, making memes uh, for the baseball card community and you know doing all these other things or uh, interacting with the community all that much uh, or as much I think it's happened it's been like this for about two and a half months now uh, and so I think things will probably get back to normal a little bit uh, in a little bit here but we've also got some you know massive things going on uh, that's not hobby related just you know family life uh, all good stuff you know but um, you know I'll talk about that later uh, as well but Anyways, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny that, you know, once your eyes are not set on something and continually set on things, for instance, 
uh, you know, these vintage cards I have. I love these vintage cards, but there's so many materials and uh, other things I have that I'm working on, uh, you know, these projects that I have going on that the view is being obstructed uh, for these. And so I don't think about them nearly as much as I did whenever I had a clean office. When I had a clean office, I could kind of, you know, take a break for a second and swivel around and, you know, enjoy King Kelly or Ty Cobb or something, you know. And now it's like, nope, I can enjoy a big stack of paper in front of them. <laughs> so that's got to change very soon. But uh, uh, one good thing is, though, is uh, when I actually intentionally uh, take a look at these cards and I enjoy them that much more because it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a, a diamond in there. You know, it's really, really kind of a fun thing to have it put back in the forefront of your memory. Um, so anyway, so what I want to talk about uh, tonight, it's uh, it's uh, it was spurred on by a couple of auctions that I noticed uh, that I found really intriguing. Uh, the end prices too. So it's uh, it's centered around uh, 1915 Cracker Jack, uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, and this this episode is not about a 1915 Cracker Jack, Shoeless Joe Jackson. It's about the uh, what makes a baseball card valuable, and uh, so. I find this interesting uh, because, uh, you know, the, the first auction, uh, it ended, I think, at the end of March, and it was graded at PSA 3, and the Jackson ended at a staggering $74,000. Now, I'm like thinking, man, that's, uh, that's amazing. You know, that's an incredible, incredible price. So, uh, about three weeks later... I think it ended this past week in SGC uh, 1915 Cracker Jack Shoeless Joe Jackson uh, sold for $42,000. Now, for those of you uh, keeping score at home, that's tens of thousands of dollars of less for the same numerical grade, but a different grading company. So. Uh, there are a number of, you know, questions, obviously, what the heck happened? What was this? <laughs> there are a number of things that uh, can contribute to this. Uh, so uh, the, the PSA sold for, uh, that sold for $74,000, uh, was sold in uh, Brian Drent's Mile High Auction House. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think there is a Tito 6 on a Swagner. Uh, that was being sold there and a pretty decent one if I remember correctly uh, It might have even had some sort of notoriety. I have to go back like you can go to their website and, and check up on this But uh, I think it was a, a pretty notable Tito 6 Wagner as if being a Tito 6 Wagner in it of itself wasn't notable enough, right? Uh, the SGC 3 sold for that sold for 42,000 was uh, sold at Robert Edwards Auctions, and interestingly enough, also had a T206 Wagner uh, that was sold. In fact, I think it sold for, I believe, $1.5 million, and it was actually trimmed so badly that the left, right, and top borders were no more. Somebody literally cut them off and still got $1.5 million. Uh, Gosh, I mean, just an incredible card. Like, as a collector, 
you know, you would have to think that for the vast majority of our fandom, of our hobbyists, that would be the end goal. That would seemingly be unattainable for 99% of us out there. Maybe 99.9% of us out there. And uh, so if it's missing some borders, guess what? When it comes to the T206 Wagner, that's a-okay by, for anybody, pretty much by anyone's standards. So, uh, but the question is though, like, what the heck? How did an SGC3 go for 42 grand three weeks after a PSA3 went for 74,000? Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, mind blowing to me. Now, uh, so the first thing you've got to look at, obviously, is the auction house. So, was there perhaps more traffic uh, at the mile high auction house? And it's possible. Um, you know, I, I know that before I got into vintage, I didn't really even look at auction houses. So, it, it, you know, it begs to, uh, to question uh, the fact that, you know, were there other buyers out there that simply didn't know about Robert Edwards auctions? going on at that point in time or vice versa you know like you never know uh what's going out there ebay it's easy because i think we always we always have our eyes on on ebay right but like once it's out of ebay's vision then the uh viewership is drastically lower and therefore uh not as many wallets are open uh so you know, that's very possible. So the actual venue that was sold at may have uh, played into it. Another thing is uh, the fact that it was PSA. The PSA collectors, they are hardcore about that registry. They really, really, really love PSA and they want nice examples of PSA created pre-war vintage in their collection. And so uh, there's a, a friend of mine, uh, Joe, he's actually like that. Uh, he really uh, has a phenomenal collection, but the thing is, though, is like he uh, won't touch anything, typically, that's SGC or RAW or anything. He likes it all PSA grade. And, you know, can you blame him? I mean, you have a, a nice collection when you open up your case or whatever. You see all these, uh, these red, you know, red flips at the top. Like, it's kind of what you uh, would like to see, right? You'd like to see uniformity for sure. Um, so, that makes uh, you know that that you know makes sense to me. It makes all the sense in the world to me if you want to stick with uh, all PSA or SGC. So same thing was with uh, happening for me when I got a uh, in that Allen Ginter uh, set of cards. I actually ended up getting a second set of 1888 Allen Ginter uh, a year or two ago, and. Uh, it was, if I remember correctly, I think, I think there were some PSA, some SGC. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I had the option of swapping out some of my copies that, because I have an all SGC uh, grade set with uh, some better copies from the second set I had that were maybe PSA or whatever. Um, I didn't do it. I opted to get rid of, well, get rid of, uh, I opted to part with, uh, the second set in its entirety, uh, while leaving my all SGC set decked, uh, because I liked the uniformity of it. All of the, the slabs were the same. They were numerically in order. 
uh, you know, the, the set was likely uh, together uh, for over a century by itself. You know, so uh, I didn't want to break that up in the name of having like a few that were a higher grade or whatever. Like it just didn't make sense to me all that much. So, you know, that's kind of what I did is I just decided uh, to uh, bypass nicer cards in the name of having, uh, you know, slabs that made more sense. And I think that's kind of where our hobby has gone. Like if you haven't been paying attention and you, or maybe you're just coming back to the hobby, you might think that sounds a little strange, but you know, that's where we're at. And I normally don't care about, about uh, slabs at all. Like, as a matter of fact, if it's uh, Conseco stuff, I will crack it all out. And I like my Conseco cards raw, uh, vintage. I like them all graded. And I will do SGC, I will do PSA. I don't have to have one uniform thing for my entire collection, but when it came to that set, I wanted to have it all one uniform uh, you know, level, basically. So uh, that's another thing. So we're talking about, you know, number one, the auction house, the actual venue, that could play into the price discrepancy. Number two, a huge, huge, huge thing, like we were just talking about, is PSA, the actual name of the grading company. Um, it's brand, it, it's the brand. You know, it's why uh, people will pay more for Nike than, you know, Adidas. I guess they do. I don't know anything about shoes. <laughs> I don't, okay, Nike more than, than Crocs, for instance. <laughs> yeah, that goes to show you. I am not a, uh, I'm not a sneaker guy. I just have no clue. I, I wear sandals, and that's really kind of about it. But, uh, um, but anyway, so that's one thing that, another thing to take into consideration. Now, still, you look at this, and you're thinking, man, they're both threes. And is, is the, the PSA worth really 15, 16, over $30,000 more, uh, you know, than the SGC. So when you, when you dive a little uh, further in, another thing that could be a contributing factor is even though they're both graded a three, remember that grading companies have different standards uh, from each other. They, there's not some universal standard that I'm aware of anyway um, uh, that has uh, spanned over the you know few decades wherever that uh, grading has been around um, so a three uh, test you see that may have been graded you know yesterday for instance might not uh, uh, have graded a three for PSA you know about 15 years ago you know I don't really know exactly all of the differences and nuances of how things are graded from what company and what to look out for and what company's more lenient on you know certain rules or anything i just don't know any of that at all uh, but it all comes down to one thing i appeal you have and this is ultimately uh the king right here is what do you want in your collection what do you want to uh, have sitting on your shelf that you can look at and be happy with. Uh, so the SGC, the new SGC holders, by the way, look great. You know, they, they call them uh, black tuxedos. Very nice, very, very sharp, um, very sharp looking. I like them a lot more than the uh, older SGC uh, cases actually. But um, and I might even like them visually more than the PSA cases, but the brand, you know, that's a, that's a tough hump to get over. But uh, in these two particular cards, uh, there was a 
if I were if I were somebody that's like really on the market for one of these, I would probably uh, want I would definitely want the PSA one more, uh, regardless of uh, you know the actual brand of the grading company because of the eye appeal. Now, uh, and, and, and this is something, by the way, that others might not agree with me on. But if you go to Twitter, uh, type in at TanManBBFan, uh, you'll see a picture I just posted uh, side by side of them up together a, a few hours ago. So, um, you know, you can tell or take a look at them and be the judge yourself. But uh, the SGC one is, uh, is more off center. Top to bottom is actually kind of, uh, I think they call it diamond cut, like the, the actual uh, center image portion is kind of tilted a little, uh, you know, so diagonally or whatever. So I think they call that a diamond cut. So, you know, that does pull down the eye appeal a little bit, but and it's kind of funny to, you know, to really talk about that in any capacity when it comes to a 1915 Cracker Jack shows Joe Jackson, right? Like, I, that's like complaining about, you know, oh, my Ferrari doesn't have like, I don't, I don't know, like a pinstripe or something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know. Um, I drive a minivan. So, yeah, again, it's, it's, I'm speaking out my depth here. Uh, but anyway, so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, those are obviously going to be things that, uh, that, that factor in when it comes to M price. I was just shocked at the disparity between the two. In fact, one other thing that, come, that comes to my mind, by the way, uh, that may have played into this as well, and I think the SGC uh, buyer might have possibly gotten away with something here, uh, is that Robert Edwards Auction had uh, a glitch in their system not allowing uh, certain people to bid at the end. So what they ended up doing was they ended up uh, extending it for another day. So they opened up the bids to allow those that have already bid on certain cards to bid for the rest of the day, the next day. And then they would close uh, after 10 minute increments of bidding and activity after 9 p.m. So that can go one of two ways. The one obvious way, which is where my mind goes, is, man, that's a bummer for the people that uh, ended the, you know, Sunday night or whatever it was uh, as the highest bidder, think, you're going to bed thinking that they're going to win, waking up only find out that, you know, there's still that card that they thought they won was still uh, for auction. Um, so, which means that, uh, you know, these certain cards that might have gone for X amount might have ended up going for higher because there was extra time. Now, uh, that's where I would say conventional wisdom comes in. Now, the second option that's entirely possible that could have happened is you could have some people that were really in like white hot on some of these cards and be super excited and burn themselves out in psychologically uh, end themselves uh, when it comes to being players of certain cards uh, the night when they were not able to log in and then they said forget it and didn't come back so there might have been somebody that was possibly a buyer for the SGC Shields Joe Jackson for 50 or 55 or 60 thousand dollars 
but didn't pull the trigger because A, they decided against it after they had to deal with all of the you know craziness that went on with their site going down and everything. Uh, or B, uh, because they just didn't know it, uh, there was another day because they didn't go back on the internet or maybe they didn't check their emails or you know they had work to deal with and then all this other stuff. So uh, that is entirely possible as well. So I think that really kind of plays into the huge disparity between the two. I, I don't think that the PSA3 was necessarily high, though I think it very well could have been. Um, uh, well, you know, let me, let me put it this way. It certainly was high because it was uh, probably a record for the grade, but I do think it was warranted, uh, you know, in many respects. But I think the SGC uh, uh, price of 42000 for the SGC3 was probably on the low side and probably, possibly, possibly could have gone higher if the auction house didn't have any issues with website. And by the way, let me say this, I've said this online already, but uh, I have uh, an enormous amount of compassion that I feel for uh, the, uh, the owner of Robert Edwards Auction, as well as the hosting company and the developers of the website as well. There's a lot of moving, moving parts when it comes to uh, having a highly, heavily trafficked website up and keeping it up during uh, peak time, such as a bunch of people trying to make uh, bids on auction. Uh, it is a huge stress for a lot of people involved. And so I have a tremendous amount of compassion for those guys because I couldn't imagine uh, having to feel that kind of stress. And that's me. Uh, talking as a web developer of you know over you know well over 20 years now uh, it's uh, it's something you just really kind of feel you got feel for for these guys for everybody involved that's that's got to be so rough because you know you're hearing it from everybody at that point this is no fair that's a rip off you did this on purpose blah, 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 blah. and I just feel terrible for those guys so anyways uh so yeah, I, here I started off this, uh, this podcast saying it wasn't about a 1915 Cracker Jack Show Show Jackson, uh, and here I am talking about uh, the actual uh, card more so than, uh, than anything else. So uh, ultimately, so I'll try to steer this back around a little bit, um, you know, to really kind of talk a little more about like what makes uh, you know certain cards more valuable uh, than others. So we have in this specific instance. A handful of things that could happen. And by the way, when it comes to uh, the auction house going down, that's not an isolated incident. Like this has happened a number of times. And guess what? You never really know how that factors in. It's not like that's part of the sales history. You know, you don't have an asterisk next to it saying like, uh, "Well, this is during a faulty auction house time" or something like that. No, I mean, you don't know that stuff. You just don't know. So, which kind of sucks because if you're trying. To, uh, sell a card based upon those comps, then, uh, you know, if you don't know the auction house was down or had problems, then, you know, you can't really use that as an excuse for a low comp or something. So <laughs> it's kind of a, kind of a bummer of a situation, but that's kind of how it goes when it comes to trying to finding comps for cards. You just never really know necessarily the whole story behind it. So, um, anyways, the other thing, say probably the, the two big big things that uh, 
you know, just from like a 10,000 foot view that everybody probably knows, but, you know, people probably don't put enough emphasis on, uh, on one of them than the other is rarity and popularity. So you could have a card, which by the way, rarity is kind of common now, right? <laughs> if that makes sense, it kind of sounds like a, uh, very much so like a dichotomy where you, where you say like the rarity is, is common, but I mean, it's kind of true because you have so many one of ones out of fives out of tens uh, nowadays. And that's kind of uh, how it goes. And people uh, would normally say, oh, you know, this the number one selling uh, point of any card. This is this person's rarest card ever. Uh, this is the rarest card ever. You remember years ago when there was a question in the hobby, like what's the rarest baseball card ever? And some people would say the Tito Six Wagon or whatever, and you know, well, guess what? There's probably thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cards that are rarer uh, than that Wagoner. You know, there's, uh, I don't know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There's a boatload now, you know, like uh, that are way, 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 way rarer. So uh, we have, as a hobby, I think, in the past and maybe in the present, put maybe perhaps too much emphasis on rarity uh, for cards that really aren't all that special, if that makes sense. Well, let's, uh, let me take a step back not, and not say not special as much as uh, have notoriety. Because like, you know, there, there's a, all kinds of immaculates and national treasures and leafs and tributes and five stars and dynasties and all this that have uh, that have all kinds of one of ones and now fives and tens and fifteens and so on and so forth. Um, but you know, they don't really stand out. They're all beautiful. Don't get me wrong. They're all works of art, like absolute beautiful cards, but there's nothing, uh, that's iconic about them. Like 52 tops, uh, 33 Gaudi, T206, 1914, 15 Cracker Jack. Um, so, you know, that's something to, to, you know, kind of keep in mind also. And even not just pre-war stuff, but you got to think about this as well. You got to think about the 90s. There's a lot of hugely iconic cards out there. 96 Mirror Gold, 97 Tully uh, Certified Platinum, 98 Crusade Red, uh, 99 Fleer Brilliance, 98 99 PMGs. I mean, there's so many that they have a tremendous, tremendous amount of uh, notoriety and, and iconicity is that word? Yeah, I don't know, but <laughs> they have something behind them and they're, you know, certainly not one of ones or out tens or anything. Uh, but you know, they're very, very highly sought after. And that basically is the other piece of the puzzle is the desirability, the popularity of cards. And it's not even by the way, uh, only felt on these rare cards. Uh, we've seen during the pandemic, for instance, uh, as an example, one card, 91 Upper Deck Michael Jordan. You know, it's not really a rare card by any stretch of the imagination, um, but because of the popularity of it, the price just skyrocketed. It got to be a pretty big card. And everybody knows it's not a rare card. It's uh, it's not a, <laughs> it's not really a huge thing. Like I, I think actually the, the numbering is like SP1 or something, if I remember correctly. I could be completely wrong. I think SP stands for short print, but remember, we're talking about short prints by early 90s standards. Uh, it's simply not a difficult card to get. Like you can get on eBay and 
get one pretty much at any time that you want probably um so unlike a lot of these uh other iconic cards that you might have to wait months or years until one even surfaces uh so that's a that's a big difference there but um you know the fact of the matter is that the popularity uh of the card can sometimes overcome uh the availability of it the lack of rarity so that's another thing to you know to keep in mind like you have you can have a lot of these uh you know different types of error cards like there's all kinds of people that are trying to sell quote-unquote error cards on ebay for you know an unbelievable amount of money and nobody's you know really selling them but you know but it's uh it goes to show you uh that the rarity is maybe not necessarily the number one thing that people look at anymore uh and it is to an extent for some cards and of course you're gonna you're gonna still get people that go crazy over barrels and knobs i mean that's me i love barrels knob card barrel cards and knob cards uh but um you know if you're looking at uh at all these other different types of uh you know uh parallels they're just like regular you know different stamp color foil or something i mean you know we've seen this before for years now over and over and over and over again and so you know just because a card is rare doesn't make it desirable um now that said uh it has a higher possibility of being desirable because it is like the only one um but you know that's just uh that's just like i said one only one piece of the puzzle so uh and listen guys i could go on and on about other different factors of what makes cards valuable um but those are some that are uh uh good to kind of keep in mind for sure uh when it comes to really kind of thinking about your own collection like what makes a certain card in my collection valuable and really kind of you know turn it to you internally and say what makes this card valuable to me because guess what that's the most important question isn't it what makes the card most valuable to me and sometimes that means uh it's a card that is worthless to everybody else but you've had it since you were a kid and you had your favorite player sign it when you're 10 years old and it is uh hugely valuable to you because of that uh and gosh aren't those the greatest <laughs> i was actually just uh, talking to uh a uh, guy that i know online that's uh i guess you call him like a social media friend or something i don't know his name is brian he's the uh, andrew mccutcheon super collector and uh, i worked on a uh, custom for him and he'll he'll show it online wherever he gets it for sure but uh but he was really excited about it he uh, after i was done with it i showed him pictures he goes man tanner you know this is what it's about like this is this is something this is what gets me really excited about the hobby like you can have one of ones and everything and they're great but like having a custom like this with meaning behind it and there's a story that i'm sure he'll share about it later as well uh but to have a card that has meaning behind it that's what makes this hobby so exciting and interesting and fun and entertaining so sometimes that happens with uh cards that have been made by card companies other times it's by 
you know, people that make customs, you know, so it's another part of it too. So, uh, but anyways, those are my thoughts for tonight. Um, and thank you as always for listening and I hope y'all have a great rest of the day.